The following podcast has been rated TVMA, NSFW, R, and NC-17, so it is not safe for kids. Put your children to bed. You spend enough time with them anyway. Say, friend, now I don't mean to pry or even assume anything, because Lord knows that'll make an ass out of both of us. But I couldn't help notice you're out here doing what you can, best you can, and making your way in the apocalypse without a drink. I hear you. A drink's a high five, a pat on the back, tastes good, makes you feel good. But out here, you don't want to feel good. You need a real drink that'll clean a wound, taste like chaos, and a burn that'll teach you all you need to know about how to survive. Well, this shocking beverage will snap you right back into place, no matter how many zombies or clicky mushroom people you had to face today, or, or how many you lost in the fires when the robots took over. Whatever your scenario, all you need is a shot of Jepson's Malort. With a taste like ground-up mummies and viper piss, this refreshing 70-proof vintage will outlast us all. So make friends with the only one that's going to make it out of here alive. Jepson's Malort. The only drink that will still be here. Proud sponsor. <clears throat> Proud sponsor of Chad the Birdcast, which is what you're listening to right now. Your official Birdcast of the Apocalypse. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to shout. Sorry. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Chad. I'm a bird. You're listening to my Birdcast. There, you're all caught up. Nice. Good for you. Whoo, humans, it has been quite the ride. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Los Angeles. Ah, oh, LA. LA, you were so great and so LA. And we had a great time. Me and Bill Larkin went out there to play at a Kulak's woodshed with the great toilet tea paper. John DeHaas and the Im- immaculately conceived Sarah Hester Ross. Why? Because no- nothing could create something so stunning and <laughs> wild and untamed. It was nuts. We did the show, which, by the way, um, you I'll have clips of it up on YouTube soon, but not yet. It was very well shot. If you missed it on the live show, I'm sorry, man. I can't tell you enough what's going on, and you show up when you show up, man. But don't be mad at me if you can't get access to it later. They had a watch party for us over at Logan Arcade. That was dope. Thank you, guys. That was so cool to get, like... Text messages while you're backstage being like, hey, we're all watching. Do stuff. And you're like, fuck, now I got to be good. Um, But yeah, me and Toily fucking tore it up. Uh, It was two-ply entertainment, (laughs) 10-ply entertainment, babies, and all the puns. Uh, But what the the wildest thing was um, when it was over, uh, this woman comes up to me. And she's like, hey, man, I'm really digging your stuff. I was like, thank you. Um, You want to get a picture? And she's like, sure, yeah. And then uh, Toilet comes up to me, and he's like, hey, Chad. And I'm like, ah, don't sneak up on a guy. And he's like, sorry. Uh, I won't keep doing his voice. That's out of respect. You know he's my hero. You know you're my hero, Toilet. Like, I, I'll i do whatever. I'll walk across the coals, man. I'm going to love that guy. Anyway, he just goes, do you know who that was? And I was like, no, nah, I don't know who that was. And that was Allison Mork, who, does the voice, uh, who did the voice of Cherry and Magic Screen from Pee-wee's Playhouse. And then two days later, Paul Rubens leaves, and that was a hard day. In the middle of that, we got to play at Alma's Cider and Beer because uh, the guy who owns the place, 
heard me uh, eulogize the anchor steam and was like, hey, man, we got anchor steam on tap. You're in L.A. Come do a show. We show up. They put me on a stack of kegs, talk to a bunch of guys. Oh, it's fucking great. Good times, L.A. Nothing but good. And then we ate at Cantor's. I had a matzo ball. I'm going to come back. I feel like my plumage just fucking shines out there. Um, but yeah, elephant in the room, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, sadness, oh, a lot of drinking. It was really tough to do that in Los Angeles because like everybody knew him. Uh, but that was doubly intense. Uh, having met Cherry Magic Screen the two days before. So yeah, this is gonna be a downer. Sorry. Uh, this is my eulogy for Paul Rubens. So I came back to Chicago. And then on that, like the day after we got back, because we got back on like a Friday, then the next day just got up, went down to the Green Mill and did this. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little zonky, a little wild, a little untamed and insane. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have done it. And I hope you like it for what you can like. So here's my eulogy. for Oh, oh before we do that, <laughs> I'm coming to Iowa City. August 25th and 26th. Wait, is that right? Hang on. Do, 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 look at it in my calendar. Yup. Okay. I'll be in Iowa City the 25th and the 26th. Okay, yeah. I'll be in Iowa City the 25th and 26th at Joystick Comedy and then another location, which we will give you soon. Stay watching the website for more information. Okay, let's do it. I've been avoiding it. Here's my eulogy for Paul Rubens, already in progress. I can't promise that you like me Cause you could go downhill I can't promise that you love me Probably will. I can't promise you forever, baby. Cause that just went too long. I got a pocket full of quarters now. Never even heard of that. Uh, <laughs> hang on. Oh, it works. Okay. Hey, what's going on, everybody? All right, um, sorry about this, but we gotta do it. So everybody's, you know, drink up, grab your drinks. Let's do this. Please be seated or don't do whatever. We give death a lot of sacredness and our attention to the moment, which is a little weird since it's a totally normal and natural thing for each and everything to dump its coils and go off into the whatever. Normal is sneezing or Farting accidentally because you've been holding it in for a while, then you see like a toddler biff it trying to drive a, a cozy coupe, which is the lady laziest way to spin out, but it's never not hilarious to witness. It is also as natural as a sneeze fart to mourn as well. It's in the nature handbook. Birds do it, bees do it, even your impossible to entertain gothy emo cousin does it in their own special way. For some of you, it's walking off into the woods for a moment to commune and have that grounding connection to the earth for a second to remind you that you're still here and craving Denny's for some reason. <laughs> for others, it's ugly crying with abandon as you listen to a Spotify playlist that you made. You did that to yourself. 
Pulling a snotty ripcord, deploying a chute of uncontrollable deep weeps and he heavier size than a cement truck just to get it out because you got to get it out and it's not easy coming. So before we begin, it's a tradition to remind yourself that grief is normal, humans, because God fucking forbid you do something weird with your life. <laughs> with y'all, it's either right or wrong, but you forgot about weird. And it is in that reverence of weird that we are here today, but don't feel weird about feeling a little heavy about it because that part's normal. Dearly beloved, and those that remember, Mad Balls, Cabbage Patch Kids, Rainbow Bright, Speak and Spell, Nerfles, Walkman, Discman, Gem and the Holograms, Micro Machines, Fashion Wheels, Thundercats, Go Worms, Popples, Pogo Balls, Polly Pocket, Pound Puppies, Pig Pong, My Buddy, Kid Sister, My Pet Monster, and Teddy fucking Rudspin. And when the Skip It epidemic plagued the neighborhood, taking out kids, faster than a sewer clown in a New England town. Thank you for taking this moment to remember with me. The Muppets once asked of us and the universe, saying goodbye, why is it sad? The answer being it makes us remember the good times we had, sending throngs of humans into full-on unmanageable bewailing because of course it's fucking Scooter that asks it, Scooter never asked anything of us. He's the eternal do-good and stage manager of our existential existence, yet in that moment, flanked by Ralph and Fozzie, he asks the question, why? And that's it. Then you black out and don't remember anything from the Muppets Take Manhattan after that moment. Said Muppets took Manhattan in 1984. And the amount of taking is debatable. Though they did spend considerably more time in Manhattan than Jason Voorhees, who would go on to take Manhattan five years later in 1989. It's important to know your history, humans. You never know when you're gonna get kidnapped by Howie Mandel and end up on a game show. He's always on the hunt, he never sleeps. Around the time of the taking of Manhattan by Muppets, Another equally floppy and wacky voice, wiggly arm fellow, whack nutty in disposition, was attempting a taking of Manhattan himself by selling out Carnegie Hall. And his name was Paul Rubens. <laughs> Up until 1984, New York born and Florida raised Paul Rubenfeld had been trying his hand at comedy in various forms, inspired by I Love Lucy, which should surprise no one. Considering he would go on to become kitschier than a lava lamp in an ambrosia salad being eaten by John Waters in a moon chair. <laughs> Paul graduated the California Institute of the Arts and he worked in restaurants as a, and as a door-to-door -door cleaning supply salesman. During that time, he joined up with the LA-based improv group, The Groundlings. It's kind of like I.O. or Second City, but without the shot and beer combos. And while... <laughs> That's a very niche joke, and I'm happy for those of you who giggled. What? <laughs> Somebody in the back went, I-O! Calm down. We don't, we don't miss it that much. What? Yeah. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. I said it. I can get my thigh grabbed anywhere. While at the Groundlings... While at the Groundlings... He met and began working with John Paragon and Phil Hartman, 
on a character based off a 1978 Groundlings improv exercise where Rubenfeld, now Paul Rubens, because I guess it's snappier, I don't know. Paul Rubenfeld sounds like a dentist, so I say that's a good call. <laughs> he came up with, quote, a guy at the comedy club that everyone would like immediately know this guy was never going to make it as a comic, and part of it was because I couldn't remember jokes in real time. His voice and signature laugh came about because Paul Rubens was in a production of the 1939 play Life with Father, and he was playing an obnoxious son, and over a three-month period, quote, and I'm not bragging about this, this is probably not a good thing, but my character developed into a total cartoon character and I didn't even realize it, end quote. He put on a gray suit, created custom for the founder of the Groundlings, Gary Austin. Someone, quote, gave me a little tiny bow tie. I had a one-inch-long harmonica that said Pee-wee on it, and I knew a kid whose last name was Herman, and Pee-wee Herman sounded like the kind of name you would never make up, end quote. And then he did 10 minutes throwing Tootsie Rolls at the audience. So, cheer up, juniors. There's hope for your shit yet. A year after that, he was flown to New York to be one of the finalists for Saturday Night Live that year, and he lost out to another whose voice, though more grating, was the voice of an entire generation, Gilbert Godfrey. So Paul Rubens goes back to L.A., borrowed some money, and sat down with Phil Hartman and John Paragon to write a show, quote, completely out of spite. And out of that bitter pissness came the Pee Wee Herman show, which went out to sell out Carnegie Hall and effectively take Manhattan more than Muppets and serial killers and hockey masks. So then, he gets asked to write a movie. And while on the Warner Brothers lot, he noticed that everybody had a bike. And he wondered out loud if he would get his. And then Warner Brothers gifted him a vintage Schwinn. And Paul abandoned the original script in favor of a fresher one where Pee Wee Herman's bike is stolen. And so he and Phil Hartman and Mark Varhall write Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, you've heard of it. Then they enlist some young kid whose jib cut and style they dug, working his way out of Disney named Tim Burton to direct it who in turn brings on his favorite rock star to compose the music, Danny Elfman from Oingo Boingo. And well, without that moment in time, we would not have Hot Topic today. So you're welcome, girl with a Jack Skellington backpack. There's your origin story. So CBS comes to Paul Rubens with a cartoon pitch that didn't land, but instead gave birth to an award-winning kids' TV show. Now, for those of you too young to Google... The reason that the elders in your community are welling up with tears right now is because this didn't just reach a generation at their most vulnerable. Or set in stone, uh, ha ha, so iconic, it is stone into the DNA of anyone who remembers blockbuster video and Tamagotchis. It created a style of children's television that does not happen anymore, and it aired in 1986. Wild. Wacky, colorful, campy, replete with innuendo, along with puppets and pirates, talking clocks, everything in the playhouse was a retro, futuristic, campy, Gabby character, kind of like if Spencer Gifts 
was hit with a fire hose of the mutating goo that helped those teenage turtles become mutant ninjas. <laughs> Phil Hartman was Captain Carl. Lynn Marie Stewart, a.k.a. Charlie's mom on Always Sunny in Philadelphia, was Miss Yvonne, and she was the most, yeah, she was the most beautiful woman in Puppetland. Some kid named Lawrence Fishburne was Cowboy Curtis. John Paragon, if you remember him from earlier when I was talking, was Jombie the Genie. And he would grant Pee Wee one wish per show. And it even featured Chicago's own Esipatha Murkerson as Reba the Mail Lady. Chicago, you're always a part of history, bud. It began the careers of Rob Zombie, John Singleton, and Natasha Leo. It even taught a lot of people how to be right and wrong, but most of all, weird. If ever there was evidence of a larval stage of humanity, it would be a kid in the 90s in flannel PJs eating Fruit Loops and watching Pee Wee's Playhouse. Now, um, of course, because it's 2023, and we have gone through more horrific plot twists with beloved childhood heroes than an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? You're probably Googling whether Paul Rubens had any scandals. And of course you would. Of course you would. He was a grown man dressed like a seven-year-old hipster in clown face. It is only natural in your post-2020 state to assume the absolute worst. But let me save you the time. In 1991, he was arrested for allegedly masturbating in a porn theater. And then in 2002, for possession of, quote, obscene material, which ended up being part of his collection of vintage erotica from the early 1900s. That wrecked his career for a while, bringing out his pals in force to defend him because he was just into some kitschy shit, man. Paul Rubens was living in a time when anything that wasn't straight, white, and miserable was considered alternative. And he was into vintage stuff like you'd see at a brunch place with unlimited cereal that's a pretty dope and chill spot for a chorizo skillet, but you have to survive a table nearby constantly referring to it as so fun. <laughs> anyway. Vintage kitsch is its own kind of weird. And he got a bulk buy of kitschy erotica. And though that was weird, there was probably nothing sexual about it. Unless the DA found it to be sexual. Which means that since he thought they were sexual, then that must mean everybody must think they're fucking sexy, so therefore it's porn. Thankfully, humanity has evolved since then. Not. But you can see where there's details at play here. Plus, what the fuck else are you supposed to do in a porn theater? Like, are you supposed to like sit quietly and enjoy the nuance? I would be more suspicious of that. The only other thing I can think of doing in a porn theater is taking notes, which it sounds like some of those prosecutors should have considered doing. In the end, and for the Redditors in the crowd, they dropped those 2002 charges in favor of lesser charges in 2004. Quote, I am disappointed any part of my art collection was ever deemed inappropriate. Taking responsibility by calling a few images in the collection obscene and paying a $100 fine seemed like the sanest way to make it end, end quote. Bringing the whole 14-year ordeal to a close, but available to Snope at your earliest convenience, you with the hot take. Take a breath before you comment. We're memorializing. <laughs> Paul Rubens wasn't just Pee-wee. He was Amlin in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was the spleen in Mystery Men. 
He was Locke in The Nightmare Before Christmas. He was the Penguin's father. And, yeah, he was the voice of that weird dick robot in The Flight of the Navigator. And he was the voice of that droid that started in Star Tours in 87, then became canon in Star Wars Rebels, and now will forever sling drinks at Olga's Cantina and Galaxy's Edge at Disney World, so go say hi. And we're not saying goodbye to Pee-wee, because why would we? We can watch Pee-wee Herman anytime. He's out there riding the light waves of 38 years of television appearances, somewhere on the most awesome red Schwinn you've ever seen and will ever see, forever looking for the basement in the Alamo. And Pee-wee was not Paul. And Paul Rubens passed away on July 30th, 2023, which is heavy for a lot of you humans. Because in a time of your lives, only being told what was right and wrong a wiggly arm suit wearing adult in his house of goofy talking furniture with secret words of the day gave you permission to just be weird. So now it's up to you to show that the kids, it's okay and natural. So stay weird, humans, and keep going with your head held high, with a mecca high, and a hiney ho. I love you. Good night. Special thanks to the Barrera Cudas for the kick-ass song Promises. That's what you hear on the back end there. Thank you to Jebson's Malort for making that possible for this. Thank you making this possible because they support the Birdcast. They don't, they don't own me. They just own the Birdcast, and we love them. Drink a Malort today and fight your dad, which was actually one of their original slogans. Thank you to Edwin for recording me. Thank you to you for listening to me. Rough stuff, hard stuff, but, you know, sometimes you got to do that stuff. Anyway, Iowa City, I'm, it's like the worst, <laughs> that's like the worst segue. I'm just like, huh, that was sad, a lot of process. Anyway, come see me do shit. But yeah, seriously, Iowa City, 25th and 26th. It was hard to write, but I felt guided, and I felt like there was some goodness, you know, happening in the room for people, like, giving it up for the man, and got to talk a little bit about the scandals, which are just not even a scandal. It was just all part of a creepy fucking time, and here we are. A little wiser, um, but lost one of the greats. Uh, but like I said, man, you can watch Pee Wee anytime. In fact, I might do that. But my biggest thing is I can do a really good Pee Wee Herman laugh, and I was a little choky, and so I didn't really do it. So I'm gonna close it on a better, a better Pee Wee Herman laugh. <laughs> See, birds are mimics, man. Oh, now it's creepy. Uh, now I made myself sad. All right, get a drink. We'll do this next week. Bye. Nailed it.